So let's consider God's word together now. This is the passage that Pastor Curtis will speak on in just a moment. This is from Acts chapter 4, verses 23 to 37. Acts chapter 4, verses 23 to 37. When they, Peter and John, were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly, in this city were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of these things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus, Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Champ, for reading, and I'm grateful for the team that led us in worship. As you can imagine, I have been really seeking the Lord, asking, just asking for guidance about what to share on a day like today. There's so many places we could turn our attention and so many things that our minds are, are really going over. And before so many things began changing this week, I had been preparing for our next passage in Acts. And as we have been walking through Acts, as a church family, the, the deeper we got into the week, the, the more chaotic it got, the more I really did sense the Lord leading me to this passage today. You know, we've been thinking through in the last few weeks at Ogletown, we've been thinking through the healing of a lame man, a man who was lame from birth. And this healing disrupted all the status quo because the followers of Jesus, Peter and John, they took an opportunity to let all of Jerusalem, the whole community know that this healing was because 
of Jesus, that life is in Jesus, that the whole world is about Jesus, that Jesus is the only way to God, that He has brought an offer of salvation to the world. And so, all those things were disruptive to the community there in Jerusalem. And we read last Sunday of how the government of that time began to respond negatively to that message and how they began to apply pressure on Peter and John, arresting them, telling them to not speak. You know, so as this week, as I thought of the threats and the fear that likely was in the heart of those first disciples of Jesus, sometimes the the unknowns that some of these disciples were beginning to experience, it's not hard to imagine. It's not hard to imagine families where there were lots of questions and lots of concerns. It's not hard to imagine people trying to think through, okay, what's the wise way to act here? What's the wise way to think here? It's not hard to imagine people trying to sort through, where is God in all of this? It's not that hard for me to imagine people trying to hold on to their faith, and yet knowing we've got good news to share. Because if the message of Jesus really is true, then it changes everything, and people need to know about it. So when I begin to think of the situation maybe experienced by those first followers of Jesus, I I did have to wonder if there were parallels. I think some of what they had been feeling and the uncertainty that they had been feeling isn't all that unfamiliar. I know what they were experiencing is different from what we're experiencing here in northern Delaware, but it still threatened them. It still put them in a place of vulnerability. So in light of that, what did they do? In light of that, what did they say? What did they think? We need to hear this. We need to hear this, especially, especially today. We need to embed their reaction, their spiritual instinct. We need to embed that into our heart. And so we're told in verse 23, and Champ read it just a moment ago, when they were released, they went to their friends, and they reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when their friends had heard it, they lifted their voices up together to God, and they prayed. What did they do? They turned to their friends. It says here that they, they gathered together. Just reading those words, means something probably different to me today than it did a week ago. To know they were gathering with their friends and not being able to do that, I have to tell you, is sad. When I was singing those songs a moment ago, face after face after face that normally gathers in this space, that I normally get to talk to weekly, that I normally get to catch up with, the fact that they're not present, that that makes a difference in our heart. We look forward to when we can do that again, but their impulse is let's get together. And and surely there are ways we can do that. Surely there are ways where we can even get creative and and even with technology to say we are with each other. We're not not in this alone. We're not just going to turn in on ourselves. We we won't just wait it out. We'll be connected in whatever ways we can. So I I notice they gather, but, but notice in that gathering, in all of this, God's people poured out their hearts to the Lord. God's people, what did they do? They, they poured out their hearts to the Lord. Prayer was the first response, not the last resort. We need to hear that, don't we? Because prayer is not some escapism, as if we just can't face up to the world's problems, so we go ahead and pray about it. No, this is our, our talking to our Maker, talking to the one who created, who designed everything the one who is in control of everything. It's talking to our Father. It's unburdening our soul. It's, 
He's told us to ask. He's told us to seek. He's told us to knock. He's, he's told us to draw near to Him, not to worry, but to pray. And that's exactly what they're doing. Listen to what they prayed. Listen to how they prayed. Because they say, Sovereign Lord, You're the one who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Sovereign Lord, You're in charge. You rule. What, what realm does He rule? He rules the heaven and the earth and, and the sea. What is the scope of His rule? It's over every living thing, all people. We need to hear that. You are in charge. And who else would we want to be in charge but Him? The one who is good, the one who is strong, the one who is wise. That's why we can pray. The sovereign God is also a speaking God, though. He's a speaking God. Did you see that? In verse 29, it says, Sovereign Lord, You're the one who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, spoke by the Holy Spirit. Why did the Gentiles rage? Why did the peoples plot in vain? So we're not just wondering, drifting, wondering what God thinks about all this mess. We have words from a sovereign God to steady our anxious hearts. God's people had been there before. As a matter of fact, what what Peter and John, what the disciples do is they draw on the words of Psalm 2. It's no surprise when we, when we find ourselves in trouble, when we find ourselves going to, through difficult times that we draw on the words from the Psalms. It says in verse 26, they're, they're quoting from Psalm 2, the kings of the earth, they set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord, against His anointed. And truly, Peter and John say, for truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and whatever your plan had predestined to take place. I just want you to notice that God's sovereignty isn't a hypothetical category. It is His rule and His reign, the fact that He's in charge, extends to real circumstance. And the main circumstance here that Peter and John are even referring to in their prayer is the disciples are praying together. The main circumstance that they're saying is He was sovereign even in the death of Jesus. God is sovereign in and through and over threatening circumstance, even if it escalates to the crucifixion of His Son. God isn't handcuffed even as this plan of saving the world through the work of Jesus is put in place, even as Jesus is tried for crimes He didn't commit, even as He went to the cross, suffering for us, for our sins. This is God's demonstration of love and grace to us. And I want us all to see that this isn't an afterthought. So they pray to the one who is sovereign. And I love what verse 28 says. Maybe this is the word that we need to think about all week long. And that is, all this is in your hand and in your plan. I, I love the wording. I love the, the visual picture there. His hand is not inactive outside of this world as if he's a great clockwinder somewhere and just kind of left us all on our own. But it's actually that he gets his hands dirty in this world. He knows exactly what what's going on. And so he puts his hand in the middle of things. And he says, I'm present here. But, but then we're also reminded just as active and present as he is right here, there's also a plan. It's not just his hand, but a, a plan. He's, he's not with some mop bucket cleaning up messes that people have made left and right. 
Well, that's not what's going on. As a master craftsman, he's using things that sometimes we say, there's not really anything good there and there and there and there. And he's taking all these things that we would, we would say, those are not good. And he is working those things out for our good. Do we believe that? As they refer to Psalm 2, and as they think of what happened in Jerusalem a few days earlier, and they said God was in charge of that, this was part of His predestined plan, then they applied the power and rule of God to their own circumstances. I think that's what's implied here. They're saying if God was in charge of that, the crucifixion of Jesus, if His plan is not thwarted by that, then surely we don't have to be afraid. Surely we don't have to be fearful. Surely we don't have to wonder what's coming next. We can trust Him when we face bullying, when we face the threats. God can help us right now. So we pray. But I have to say, here we are in 2020. And if the hand and plan of God could give grace then, could He not, could he not give grace now? So what is on your mind might not be bullying and threats from the government. But actually, it maybe is virus and quarantines. You're beginning to think through the implications of that, or maybe your family, or maybe your work, or maybe your paycheck, or maybe what's on your mind, even as you're watching this, even as you're processing all this, is your, your kids, or your parents, or your classes, or your future, what's going to happen next? And frankly, maybe this is the place where you pause the video and, and you just write down these words, since God is sovereign, then, and you start filling in the blanks. And then maybe you come back to the video in a moment. Because maybe just in these moments, you need to remind yourself, since God is sovereign, then, maybe that's a prompt to pray and to trust the Lord. Maybe, maybe you join in praying that together with someone close to you. God, your hand is still in this. You still work things out for good. We can know that in our head, but my goodness, when that drills down to our emotions, when that drills down to our anxieties, we are different. That changes us when it gets there. And I'm not sure how else it will drill down there to the deepest core of who we are other than prayer. I don't know if there's any other pathway. They say, Lord, we, we need your attention. That's what they're saying in verse 29 right now. Lord, look upon their threats. Look, Lord, pay attention. We, we need you to see us. And what's so interesting to me is what they pray next. It, it almost catches me off guard. It, it isn't what we normally would expect because what they pray, what we might expect them to pray is, Lord, keep us safe. And just so you know, that's a really good prayer to pray. We have all kinds of biblical warrant to pray that prayer. So when we pray, Lord, protect and preserve, and watch over and guard. When you start thinking of people that maybe in this season seem to be more at risk, and you're praying protect and guard, you are rightfully caring for people that are close to you. This is a good thing. This is a good prayer. But that's actually not the prayer they're praying here. They don't pray, Lord, keep us safe. They don't even pray, Lord, take vengeance on those people that are trying to mess our lives up. That would be a right prayer too. It's right to hunger for justice. It's right to recognize this world is not right, and we want God's will to be done and His kingdom to come. Well, that's right to pray those things, but this prayer is different. Actually, what they pray 
is, Lord, look at all of this that's going on in this world. And then it says in verse 29, and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal, while signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Man, that, that just gets to my heart because the prayer is use this circumstance for the mission of good news being broadcast that it's always been and always will be all about you. Do this, and notice the pronouns, because we are your servants. It's your word that needs to be known. It's your mighty hand that could be seen in our acts of love and our deeds of faith. It's all about you. It's about your holy servant, Jesus, who is above every other name. Embolden us. That's our prayer. That should be our prayer. Embolden us in Jesus. And notice what happens. God hears. And in this case, God lets them know he heard. I love it in verse 31. It says, when they prayed, the the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. I mean, praise God, not their faith. Their faith wasn't shaken, but the place was shaken. And they were filled, all filled with the Holy Spirit, continue to speak the Word of God with boldness. God answers, and they continue. So this is what they pray. Lord, may we continue to speak your Word boldly. And God answers that request. So as we pray, as we pray for that empowerment, the filling of the Spirit that God had promised that he would send his spirit to us. And they continue to speak, not, not our own ideas, not our own wisdom, not our own hot take on any, anything here or there. No, no. Speaking the word of God, what happens? What happens is the, the word grows, the word continues to increase and multiply. What's interesting as I read chapter 5 and chapter 6 and chapter 7 and chapter 8, and even into chapter 9 of Acts, Actually, it doesn't get any easier for the apostles. It gets harder. Actually, things get more complicated. The persecution doesn't stop. But amazingly enough, in the middle of that, in the middle of chaos, the the people believing in Jesus are witnesses and, and God's people grow. I think that can happen. I think that can happen right now. We can pray. We can ask God for that. We can believe that God can do anything. And we can ask him to move to show his power in unmistakable ways. But there's one other thing I want to draw your attention to in this passage. One other thing I want you to notice in light of, I mean, they're reacting to the threats and they're reacting to the vulnerabilities they might feel in the situation they found themselves in. You know what God's people also do? God's people show love in generous ways. That's what God's people do. They show love in generous ways. For the sake of the good news, they lived their life open-handed before the Lord. That's because to Christians, people always matter more than stuff matters. For Christians, it's always the case, or it should always be the case. It's not just about the stuff. As a matter of fact, the the full number of those who believe, it says in verse 32, are of one heart and one soul. No one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they, they shared, they had everything in common. The full number is together, one heart, one soul. I wonder if this time period is going to make us sort through when we don't have the option of being physically present with each other. 
Are we really of one heart and one soul? What are the obstacles that hinder us from being of one heart and one soul? What are the things that really hold us together, that actually draw us together in that unity that's described about here? They have a view, don't they? They have a view that these things that I have, they're not mine. Oh yeah, I guess I, I own them, but they're, they're not mine. They, they never have been mine. They're from God to take care of needs that I have and needs that others have. What opportunities do we have to show that? Look at verse 34. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands and houses, they sold them. They brought the proceeds of what was sold and they laid it at the apostles' feet. And they distributed it to each as any had need. That's the right kind of reactive awareness. Is there a physical need here? I mean, the Bible talks about the needs that we have. We have need for food and clothing and shelter, all these physical needs that we have. Is there a need here? Can I meet that need? What resources do I have, do we have, that could be brought to bear on this need? And then action is taken. It's not just here the thought that counts, it's the action. Could this mark us out differently? Will there be new opportunities because of some tough times economically where we might be called on to have one heart and one mind and we might be called on to share what we have that God has blessed us with? I love it. it's the right kind of reactive awareness, but it's also the right kind of proactive awareness. It seems like everyone was trying to serve and, and anticipate needs. What phone calls can we make? What cards can we write? What, what ways can we help? We might not know until we ask. You might not know what someone needs until you ask and you dig a little bit more. Are there ways we can help? It doesn't mean it's going, always going to be easy. It's not, go, it, it's not going to be like we're always dialed into everybody's needs. As a matter of fact, Acts 5 and Acts 6 tell us this stuff gets complicated. It's not that easy to care well for others, but it's still worth giving our efforts to. I have to tell you one thing that so encouraged me is leadership of our church met on Saturday, and we talked and we prayed. And a large portion of the discussion being prompted by the leaders of our church was how can we care? Can we make sure people can get help? What's in our power to make sure we demonstrate the grace of the Lord even as leaders? Can we mobilize? How can we mobilize people to meet needs even as we take whatever precautions that are wise to take? What can we do? What is in our power to do? I love the questions. I think we need more of those. We need to, we need to live in that realm because when this happens, you know what it looks like? What it looks like is a powerful testimony. It says in verse 33, with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Jesus was the center of their life and the resurrection it shows like, yeah, it changed things for me. Because Jesus is alive, I, I think about things differently. I think about people differently. I think about my stuff differently. I think about needs differently. If he weren't alive, if he weren't risen from the dead, I wouldn't be living this way. Because he is, that shapes every aspect of my life. Great power, but also great grace is upon them all. What we never could earn. What's a gift from God? His favor. Undeserved love expressed in tangible ways. I'm reminded we don't have to meet in a building together this week 
to be this kind of people. I'd love to meet together. I'd love it, but since we can't, since we won't, can I just ask you to pray each day that the Lord would give us grace? I love the picture here in Acts because in one sense it's, it's a general picture, isn't it? It's like lots of people are doing these kinds of things. Lots of people remain nameless. They're just a part of the family of God, and this is the way they're going to love one another. But it's not just general, but it's also specific. I love that it singles out Barnabas, but actually Barnabas isn't the, the actual name. The actual name is Joseph. Barnabas is a nickname, a nickname earned because he's the son of encouragement. It says him in verse 36, verse 37, that he sold a field that belonged to him. Just kind of isolates one snapshot. Does you want to know what it looked like as a community? Well, there's this, this guy who we all named Barnabas because he had such a heart because he lived generously. Here's what I'd like to end with. I'd say to Ogletown and even beyond those who have joined us beyond just this immediate Ogletown family, I really, really do believe that God was leading us to this passage. I really believe that he had the, he is leading us to anchor our hearts, to move, to move us to look toward God to look toward each other. The circumstance of Acts 4 may be different than the circumstances of March 15, 2020. But our mission and our message, it's not different. So let's pour out our heart to the Lord, just like they did. Let's ask the Lord to show us exactly how this week we can show love in generous ways. Can we take a moment and pray and ask the Lord's help in this? Sovereign Lord, our lives and our future, everything is in your hands. And just as Pastor Evan prayed a few moments ago, being out of control is very uncomfortable. So we take a moment here to silence our hearts before you. We do wait for you. We ask for you to be our refuge and strength, the one who will help us, even in this time of trouble. Give us wisdom to know what our next move should be. Give us a desire to show love and then show us how that can be demonstrated and not just something we think about, but something we can do. Lord, we entrust our souls to you. We ask for your help in this. And we ask our prayers in Jesus' name.